Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project Adventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Benedikt Kurz. Welcome. Hi, Rainer. Nice to be here. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and to those who have been great founders in the past or work closely with those, and we ask them the same set of questions in some domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful company. These are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Benedict, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Um, I'm Benedict, 20 years old, one of the founders of New Unity. With what we're building, we're trying to build a leading platform for students globally. So we started up in September 2020, became the fastest growing, and now one of the biggest education platforms or apps in the whole DAC region. With, with 1.9 million registered users, currently a team of 45 people, um, with the vision of really building the leading platform for students on a global scale. So who do you consider your target group? Is it the students themselves or to, to, who, do, to who do you sell? Yeah, exactly. So our main target group is really the students, since we're really trying to build a product that gives access to high-quality education, uh, be it content, be it answers, be it social interaction on one platform, really focused on making the school day as effective and as, as, as nice as possible to the, to the student at the end of the day. Definitely parents are not uh, are kind of a significant target group there and also when it comes to paying also for the lower grades, but our key focus for now is really on making the best possible product for, for users, meaning students. Thanks a lot. Now let's get started. The first chapter, people. If you would start a company again today, what would be your first five hires? Um, I think since we since we started the company with three tech co-founders, I'll kind of skip that tech part, but definitely if we wouldn't have had any tech co-founders, definitely two or three people on the tech side. Um, then I'd early on get someone on board because we're a B2C company with, with, with experience in marketing, um, meaning someone who did B2C marketing before that. Um, I'd get up ahead of product pretty early um, since we kind of saw how it really gave us lots of structure and lots of help. Um, I'd get someone who is responsible for the whole people and HR really early. We maybe got on that one a bit late. Um, so these are like three people. And then I'd say someone for data pretty early. So some, some senior data analyst um, would be super important to have early on board. So we had four people. And I think these are kind of the four super important topics. And then for sure for us, since expansion is such a huge topic, we got someone on board for expansion pretty early. It was kind of managing the tool expansion topic. So I'd say that these are like five more senior hires and then definitely some people really on the ground, meaning community managers, stuff like this, to really be as close as possible to the target group. And were these the first five hires that you had? Um, not 100%. Um, I think, I think we, we, we tried to get, like, we signed them pretty early, but like head of product, uh, head of data, they started a bit later because of notice periods and everything. Um, so we, I think one of our first hires was someone who did content and then someone who did design. Um, yeah, I wouldn't maybe do 100% the same again when looking looking back, but yeah. What are the hardest hires today? Um, I think it's the tech hires, definitely. I mean, I think I'm not the only one that is saying that, but definitely we could yeah, have an attack team of, of plus 10 people definitely looking to grow that by a lot this year. And that's definitely the hardest one to get really good engineers on board, also with a bit more experience. So I'd say definitely tech. And what is also quite tough to get on board is really, really good product managers and really good product people. So people that really deep down understand the customers and really want to build a great product and not just kind of about managing um, the whole stuff. How do you measure employee satisfaction? 
We are internally in our OKRs having an employee happiness score. We didn't do employee net promoter score because we said, okay, happiness score kind of more reasonably resonates with how happy employees really are at the workplace, which is like on a company level, our, our layer there. And then we have like different key results in turn in our HR and our people department, um, kind of going a bit more into detail on how happy people are working at the unity with their coworkers, with their, with their uh, supervisors, with the work equipment and everything. But that's kind of the key thing on how we measure it. And we're doing like two surveys a month on these different topics with all the employees to kind of have an ongoing score there to keep track of that. How do you measure employee performance? We have like performance reviews after one month, after three months, and after six months, um, and having a score there basically. And then we always take the average of the score and kind of see the development there, which is try to do it a bit quantitative, but definitely lots of performance reviews, in my opinion, also happen on a qualitative level. So really on kind of interacting with the supervisors and getting getting things going there. But that's kind of the quantitative thing on how we try to try to get it done. And definitely we have these OKRs, for example, where we have responsibles on there. Um, but that's more likely on a lead team lead level. So it's not for not for everyone. Number six, how should an organization be structured? Um, I think we're still in the process of, of also finding that since we grew from like five to roughly 50 people in less than a year and also will continue growing a lot. Um, so I believe what we felt early on is or what we saw early on that you definitely need to kind of divide divide decision powers so that you can't say, okay, there's like one person deciding everything. Definitely you need people at the end of the day being responsible for something. So you always need someone who is responsible and kind of has the authority, to, has the power to decide. But what we early on kind of felt also with us five founders that we kind of need to everyone needs to take his or her own departments basically that we're not just like five people in the complete same area deciding on the same thing um that was one of the key things early on and that you kind of really try to keep it super low hierarchy it isn't i would say it isn't possible to do it without any hierarchies with decision power and everything but that you don't kind of get too too deep into that typical mindset that let's say a junior can't really form any decisions or stuff like this so that you really try to bring the decisions down to the to the level that really where the people are really interacting with the customers or with the users so that's maybe some things on it seven what's your approach to culture we early on we're like five founders we kind of really had that vision of building a global global platform for students so in the beginning was super clear for us that we had that vision and that we and we knew each other so in the beginning we had I'm not saying I would not say we're challenges with it, but we kind of really needed to kind of get that you need to invest a lot in culture, that you need to get people on board for culture, that you really need to bring up that culture and team, and that you kind of need to define the culture with with key values or with yeah key values of the company with key amendments and stuff like this. So I would say we started it a bit too late, but I know pretty pretty harsh on it. Um, be be like when in our recurring monthly sessions with the team leads or with, with all the teams um, with different initiatives on a, on a two weekly basis. So we kind of felt that a bit too late, but I think now we integrated it quite good and definitely also have a topic where this whole culture and mission thing with education and really helping students is quite a, quite a, quite a big one. Remote first or office first? We are a hybrid company um, with mainly, for example, tech team being super remote. Um, we have an office in Berlin, smaller office in Sinnelfingen. So I, I'm personally more, more of an office person, but um, I mean, we're we hybrid, so I wouldn't say that, that remote is super bad at all. Next chapter. Tech. Is No Unity a tech company? Yes, definitely, I'd say. Um, product or development, who's in the lead? Uh, in terms of product features, um, product, um, but always with the, because I said three of our co-founders are 
techies and Gregor, one of them is super integrated into product development process. So there's always this technical component coming to all the product decisions. But in terms of new features, backings and everything is more likely on the product in the first place. And then definitely the tech is also something to say if that's somewhat possible or feasible or if somewhat makes sense. And tech is in the lead when it comes to any infrastructural um, decisions or any monitoring systems, stuff like this. Who decides what to develop next? Um, we're also kind of in the process of really building up that perfectly. For now, I'd say it's really between more likely, most likely head of product and definitely with bigger things also. Some, some, sometimes I have my say on it or, or Gregor has a say on it. So kind of we're really, I mean, at the end of the day deciding it, but we have a product team of seven or eight people and they are more likely pushing the product roadmap forward. And we don't have that big of a product roadmap like maybe some other companies have because we really want to keep it super user-centered and really focus on what users want to have from us and what we see on the different data or quality signals. Um, so that's kind of how, how we decided. And can you elaborate a little bit more how the decision process work? So basically we have like a normal product development process or decision process where we kind of tend to bring up a topic that is either way coming up through discovery, meaning qualitative research or quantitative research, seeing the data, having certain what one of our key results that we that we are impacting that's kind of always the, the key of it before before we tackling the feature then deciding okay we kind of trying to use that that rise method okay how big would do the reach of that feature be how might the impact of that feature be is it really impacting the data point that we want to impact meaning the key result and then how big is the effort to to do it so that kind of rise model helps us in really forming these decisions um I mean, i'd say we're still in the early days of really kind of formulating these rise models best perfect but that's kind of how we try to guide it then we have like weekly meetings with our, for our different objectives where we then really decide on the bigger bets uh, for the different objectives that we're that we have 13 what's your take on product-led growth i think that's um, one of the most important things for us since we are definitely a product-led driven company um we are at plus 50 organic share our users are referring to product they're kind of growing on other social channels and referring new users into it so that's definitely core of our business it's also where we got in an additional head of growth it was really just about product-led growth and how can we let people grow out of the product how we can we get more people into the product with word of mouth coefficients and everything so it's a enormous important for us It's an interesting case uh, in, for, for New Unity, actually, because uh, for a lot of companies, that means the split of who's using the product and, and, and who's potentially at one day paying in a company. In your case, probably the split between the actual students and, and the parents. And the so parents, on. potentially, yeah, mainly also in lower grades, exactly. How can we get these users hooked down and then parents, parents into paying? Yeah. Which role does design play in your company? I think um, it, it did play too less of a role in the early days because we were, as I said, five founders and we didn't have any design background. So we just kind of started building the app that we believed, okay, it works some way. Then we got in the first designers um, and then it, we kind of took a big leap in it. We now got like a brand manual and everything together, but definitely did it too late. So I'd say now it means more and more. Also, when you're focusing on lower grades, gamification, these aspects are meaning a lot to kind of gather users even more to the app. So I'd say now it's, it's becoming or it became more and more important, but in the early days, it didn't have that size in the company that it should have maybe had for, for a B2C product focusing on such a target group. Do you or would you outsource software development? Um, if, if we are not forced to do so, I wouldn't do so or we wouldn't do so because we are, I mean, we, we, made, that, we, we, we made that experience in some, some smaller cases and it didn't work super perfect it's just different if you have really people in team working full-time for your company really being deep down in your mission everything and knowing what you're building just makes things a lot easier for all the different stakeholders involved so that's what we're in general trying to push for also on the tech side that we just only get people on board who are full-time with no unity and completely focused on our unity 
Next chapter. Growth. Thinking of the complete funnel from brand to marketing, sales, customer success, which of these functions do you have at No Unity? I would say in summer we have all of them, but I would definitely say that some of them are more developed and other ones are less developed and also because of our business model. I mean, the sales, for example, taking this one, definitely companies can come to the Unity to reach younger students, to reach students for their trainee or apprenticeship programs, but that's not the absolute core of the business. Um, so that's a bit, I mean, we have two, two people there on, but that's not absolute core of it. I think definitely marketing um, and customer success is super, super important for us. We didn't do that much in brand before because the brand kind of shaped by itself in this target group, by itself, and it, it, with TikTok, with these knowers sharing and everything. Um, so we didn't do that much influentially on it. We just started on doing it more and more. Um, but I'd say in general, we would have all the departments, but uh, I think they can, some of them can also grow, grow a bit more. Do you see any of these being in the lead above the others or how would you put, put the structure together among them? I think since we're a really product-driven company and a product-led company, I would definitely say that the product has somewhat of the lead when it comes to product development and the whole process, since lots of our marketing is also out of product and really product-driven growth or product-like growth. But I'd say apart from these departments, there's not one department that is like the, the leading department, since they're all kind of important in our, in our opinion. Mm. A classic problem for companies who have these different steps in the funnel is that the different steps start to work in silos and when revenue doesn't come in or success doesn't come in, they start to blame each other. Yes. Um, how can you make sure that this doesn't happen? Um, it's, it's, it's a tricky question, I guess. Um, we, we, I mean, we, we have built up these, these teams also. We are currently, as I said before, also kind of in, in, the, in the process of finding the, per, of finding the perfect company or OX structures. So if you do it in squads, we work in squads already in your product team and that is working pretty, pretty good because you have people from different departments on it and you're not, okay, this department is now the one to blame because you have like, you have a designer on it, you have a developer on it, you have a, you have a researcher on it, you have a PM on it. So that's working pretty good on the product side. Definitely we're not doing this in all of the departments since that would be, would be also a big shift that, that we didn't do for now. I think in general, we are having quite some people that are working in or that are having lots of touch points with different departments. So that makes it a bit easier for us that the departments are not that, that hardly like covered or like that hardly siloed like in some other companies because also some of these departments are still 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 smaller. So I definitely say like some people that are really holding these departments together. And I think what's super important is like a general mission or a general goal that people are aligned. Okay, we want to reach that goal. And it's not about, okay, me blaming someone else, but more likely how can we really shape that in a, in a more common way? That's when we come back also to cultural topic, which is that important in these kinds of kinds of topics. How important is brand for you or probably how important do you think will it be? I think it will be definitely super important. Um, I would say like if you, if you look at the market share that we have in there, we are basically the biggest platform for students in, in Germany or in the Dach region. We don't have that 100% brand that we, that we could have there because we didn't invest that much in it because we really focus a lot on product and getting users into the, into the product sharing and everything let's say it, it will have a huger more important value to us in the future um because we just didn't do that much for now um so that's why we're also tackling it from now on and how do you plan to approach it um we in some way also together approach it with you and um, with, with your operational team um and on the other hand i think we want to approach it more likely I mean, we already started with the process with somewhat of redesigning the logo, making making really our communication efforts super streamlined and structured, our messages that we really want to convey. Um, I think for us, it's just important in this whole process to not lose sight of our of our user and to not just like build up the fanciest slogan or something like this and more like really 
integrate users in the tool process. So let's also do focus groups with these users, doing, doing lots of qualitative research with these users and kind of understanding, okay, what really resonates with, with our end user and what really would helps them also get that message that we want to convey there. So that's kind of something that we are trying to bring up early on or that we try to bring up. Which marketing channels do you use and why? I mean, since we're since we're plus fifty percent organic, so we we that's, this is this is not a channel, but this is one of our key growth drivers, definitely. On the other side, um, mainly mainly it's it's TikTok, Snapchat, because it's kind of the platform that our target group is active. So be be it paid ads or be it influencers there, um, and it's um, it's a bit of the other typical channels. But let's say TikTok and Snapchat are the most 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 prominent ones. Is performance marketing dead or dying anytime soon? Um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but I get get the point. I'd say, like in our opinion, still with TikTok coming up, it's definitely something new and unique. I would say if we would now only need to rely on, on Facebook and Google Ads, I wouldn't be that happy with it at all. But since there is TikTok, since there's Snapchat, since the younger generations are using that heavily, I wouldn't say that it's dying. But I'd say that definitely it gets. I mean, we also see this with our ads. The more native and the more organic you kind of build together that ads, the better they perform. So the typical performance marketing, I would say, definitely is kind of getting a bit old-fashioned. You really need to try to get it as organically and as native as possible. Do you already have salespeople? Yeah, we have like two salespeople on, on board for these like B two B sales. Um, so so exactly. And um, that's actually a major problem for a lot of. Uh, companies yeah. uh, where you find good digital savvy salespeople um i think we both found both of them via via reference so so one of our people operation managers knew someone from another uh, quite famous startup he came to us and then he brought his his friend or someone with him so typical referral topic um but luckily we're not for now we're not 100 relying on, on sales so it isn't that we need to build up a sales army of 20 people that made it also a bit easier for us to kind of get take it a bit more relaxed in the, in the recruiting process. Next chapter. Data. How does data make new unity successful? I think it's one of the keys of our decisions when we look at our OKRs, when we look at all the product decisions, there's always data laying on the ground for deciding if we're either going to tackle a feature or not, and then for evaluating if that feature is working or not. So that's why we also got on board the senior data analyst pretty early, where we're now building up our data team with engineers, analysts, and everything. More and more, um, so definitely it's one of the core core function of the business for us. Okay, the next question anticipates that you already do have a data team, uh, and if you do, or, or if you would, uh, which functional areas should be supported by by the data team? I think we we initially on got we, we initially got, got got someone on board leading our data team, Emanja, um, who who is kind of. Uh, data analyst and data engineer at the same time. And then we, after a few months, okay, we need someone who is even more helping us on the product data analytics side. So we got someone else and we're now getting in two more people and one on the engineering side and one on the analyst side, because we also felt, okay, this engineering power with like millions of users on it with the tracking and everything. It's also kind of a bigger one that we need to tackle in some ways. And that's why we got on, on board someone there. So I think these two functions, really someone who's like product data, Driven, who really also gets that product sense of, of how data should be measured and everything, and someone who's more likely into the technical aspect of engineering. I think that's two key functions for us. Should, in your opinion, a, a data team answer specific asked questions or explore the data available and find opportunities? I think that's also a topic that we are having lots of times in the product, but also with the PM or in, in, the, in the whole product development process. I think what at Unity we have, we, we, we're pretty lucky that we have super capable people on board on the data side that are also more into product. So they definitely also find interesting features or things by themselves without needing, without us giving them a certain research topic. Um, but 
I would say in most of the cases, it's more like your data kind of really provides the things to work on them, maybe provide some ideas, some interesting insights, and then more than likely also product something takes, takes the decisions and somewhat based on that data. It's not that hardly separated on our end for now, but um, let's see what the future holds there. How do you ensure people really do what the data recommend? I think it's about really aligning on super clear goals. So that's kind of where also this OKR setup helps us. So we have that strictly rule that everything that we do should impact one of the key results. Um, so that kind of helps to then also in a retrospective perspective really see, okay, if that really impacted something or if we just did something because we found it cool. I think in general, there's always some features when it comes to product development process that you will be doing because you believe it is a moonshot that you need to take it because otherwise you might always just get like to the next 5% and not really tackle that really big visionary things. So we always try to also make sure that there's a space for these bigger things that might just be, okay, we have a certain data point or signal, and, but believe we should be tackling it that big because we all feel it or something. But this definitely shouldn't take the overhead and should just be a few percent of the features being developed. Which tools in data and infrastructure do you use? We are mainly because, I mean, we're using ClickHouse and lots of the way currently migrating to Redshift and everything. Um, we're using Metabase mainly as a visualization tool, which is pretty good for us. It's still quite early as a tool, but it's really easy to use. So also the product managers, also the growth people, everyone can just kind of build together own dashboards, own requests there with. So that kind of helps us speed up the tool process. If you look forward and you mentioned your data team has grown quite a bit, which, which roles would you see within the data team and how would you structure that? I think, I think it's, 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 it's coming to come back to that one before. I think needing someone who was needing some people who are more likely focused on really providing that analytics or this analysis for the, for the product side in general. And then some people that are really focused on getting that engineering going basically. Um, and then someone who kind of oversees the whole data actions also from the perspective of tracking and of, of Date, privacy issues and stuff like this. So these are like three key topics or three key bulks that we try to fit together. Where do you think uh, makes most sense that a data team is located within the organization? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, officially it's located under tech at Unity, but it's working heavily together with product. So we, we have it a bit structured in between of tech and, and products, I meaning between like Lucas and myself. Um, but I'm not sure if that's 100% the best case for forever. Is GDPR a struggle or an opportunity? I wouldn't say that it's a struggle because it's super necessary also when taking a look at our target group. That's, for example, why we're never targeting down to, to schools or stuff like this, and why we really have lots of security topics with security audits and everything going on to really ensure that our data is, is, is tracked and is being, being processed on a correct and GDPR compliant basis with, with service being in Germany or in Europe. So I think it isn't a struggle, but um, in some cases, for some business, definitely opportunity. I wouldn't say that's super big of opportunity for us. It's just say like something medium fast that we definitely need to comply with. Next chapter. Environmental, social and governance. The first question here is actually a tricky one, uh, because usually I ask why you did or did not start an ESG company. Uh, would you consider no unity somewhat an ESG company? I think it depends a bit on the definition of ESG, but I'd say definitely yes, since we are kind of making a huge impact on education, which is, which is like one of the key things perceived in life, which is not only one of the key things for like maybe people with a higher income, but we really kind of were spreading education through our really like low cost or basically no cost um, efforts. So basically the platform is basically for free to use with all this quality education to really spread education to everyone and to make education accessible to everyone. That's also what our vision really says and what, what one of our key values there to really make really say, okay, education matters to everyone. Um, so I definitely say that, that we have quite a huge impact, um, not, not, not only on the current users, but also can have in the future maybe users from, from, from lower income. 
countries. Um, what does New Unity do in order to help our environment? I mean, we are also part of the, of the Leaders for Climate Action thing, of the Leaders for Climate Action program, um, also, also thanks to Project A. So we're definitely complying to all these different different measurements or the different actions that have been taken there. Um, I think since we're still pretty early, since we're not that heavy on flying around or anything like this, we are just traveling um, with, with, the, with the train and having like the typical things here. I think it makes it easier for us to really comply with all these things. When you're not a company with 500 people, I believe that this will get more tricky then and this will also cause us some, maybe some challenges in the early days, um, but that's, that's how we currently see it. Which role does the S in ESG, so social, um, play in the way you run your business? Um, I think in terms of like on a, on a, on a product and on a, on, a comp, yeah, on a product level, basically it's kind of one of the key growth drivers for us because we integrated that tool. Social layer users are using social media and knowing these typical social media usage patterns. We integrated that into an education product, which gave us the opportunity to grow that fast and to really get users that engage through the platform. So that's definitely one of the key things that we believe in that you'll only build a product for that target group if you really also make use of these tools and these social media use cases in an effective and meaningful way. Um, I think that's on a, on a company, on a, on, a, on a product level, and then kind of like on a company cultural level. I definitely think that like this whole social and respective layer is, is kind of the key of working together in some way. We're having 45 people from, from 18 different countries. Um, so definitely there is tons of different cultural backgrounds and everything. So you always need to have that respect and that kind of social layer in, in place. And also as a leader, I think this whole social thing of being someone who is kind of socially responsible and socially near to interacting with all the people is quite crucial in building up your own team or good company. Which governance criteria do you follow? Um, I mean, since we're, since, we're, since we're pretty early on, I would say that we don't have any, like that big of a governance that maybe other companies have because we're still a small team and they're still all super familiar and we have really taken lots of, lots of really taken a look at like the personality of people when we're hiring them if they really fit into the mission that we have in. We have in, I'd say like 10 amendments at New Unity that we really kind of go through with everyone who's coming to New Unity early on, that they're super prominent in the company, um, that are somewhat of a governance structure of working together of how things should be could be taken, how you're interacting with your coworkers. So I'd say that that's one of one of the governance things that we do on a on a team and on a company level definitely. And then for sure on a data governance, typical tech governance, security governance, I'd say like the typical things there with security audits and everything um, that have been also going on in the or that had gone on in the past. If you look at our market, ESG is a lot talked about, but in the end startups which are VC funded usually try to get further funding rounds. And um, do you think that a focus on ESG is help getting funding or do investors just talk about it, but rather in fact see it as a deflection from earning as much as possible? I think it heavily depends on the model, I'd say. I mean, there's definitely some models um, where maybe they're not super ESG compliant and, and they're still earning lots of money and they're, they're still getting funded. Um, I wouldn't say, I would say that definitely most of the investors somewhat care about it or seem to be caring more about it than, than, than the last years, definitely. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that you have like, I mean, definitely there's a trend in, in, in this whole climate tech 100%, which, which isn't just a trend, which is super important for our environment. So it definitely makes sense that there's more money going into that, into that, um, that area. But I would say that other than that, on my impression or in my experience, I'm not that experienced at all, wouldn't say that it had that big of an impact into one or the other way. Definitely for us, since we're having that big social impact or kind of that big social impact, which is integrated into the model, it's a huge thing, which also VCs looked at and are looking at, um, but I wouldn't say that therefore we close the funding round or not. 
Do you foresee to have an ESG officer at, Uni at No Unity? I could definitely do so in the future. Like to be transparent, it's not planned for this year since we're maybe going to 100 people this year. And we're having lots of things really incorporated into, in our DNA and our mission already. And, and they're having like a product that is some, doing something really positive for 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 the, for the society, basically. Uh, so it's not a super rushed topic that we're tackling, but definitely in the future, it could be could become something interesting. And where would you locate such a person in your organization? I think if you, I think you must try to locate it a bit out of the other departments, and really also the person has the authority to kind of really step into all the GD, all the ESG topics in some way, and that the person isn't in, integrated into product, for example, and just kind of focused on any product OKRs, something like this. So I think it should be someone who's really like more overseeing the other structures and everything, a bit, bit apart from the rest. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast all founders should listen to? Um, definitely Project A podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think, I think, I mean, the typical OMR podcast, I think the 20 minute EC, um, yeah, these are two ones I'm listening to when I find time. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Um, I think definitely, definitely that you kind of need to keep pushing on things. Although people in the beginning will tell you that it won't work. So you need to have that determination. So I think that's like something that is written in lots of books, but we really saw it in our experience. Um, so I think that's, that's number one. And I think number two is kind of, I'd call it be like staying authentic in your way when becoming somewhat of a leader, kind of really staying the person that you are and not trying to just change yourself for investors or change yourself for team members or something like this because this will kind of backfire all the time. So I'd say these are like two key topics that helped us quite a lot. And who are the two other founders I should ask this set of questions and you will make an intro for me? Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not that long in this typical Berlin scene. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe Sven from Sastrify. He also invested in our Unity, so he's, he's pretty capable. Um, and maybe, boy, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> that's my personal growth hack here. I <laughs> um, got that. So, so maybe Sven and, and maybe, maybe, maybe Philip from, from, from Chronix, since he has had lots of more experience than I'm having, and he can maybe tell some more questions, some more answers there. Okay, cool. Very much looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Thanks for, your, uh, for, for, yeah, for all your answers to our questions. Um, it was great fun. It was very fast. I think that was the fastest recording that we have done. You speak, you have yeah, <laughs> very, very fast clear to the point thanks a lot for that i bet uh, our audience will enjoy that a lot um, and hope to speak to you soon bye bye it's a lot Ronan. thank you we hope you enjoyed our podcast if you did how about you subscribe on spotify and or itunes and give us a rating